This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dr. Dawn on Careers. Welcome to Dr. Dawn on Careers on SiriusXM channel 132. This is your host, Dr. Dawn Graham, and in my day job, I lead career coaching for the executive MBAs at the Wharton School. I'm also a licensed psychologist, former corporate recruiter, and author of the book Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and Seize Success. And we are excited to be bringing you all new content this month. So mark your calendars for noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific every Thursday and tune in to Channel 132 for the latest career tips, job search advice, and market updates. And of course, a big shout out to Dion Simpkins, our engineer, and Dana Cash, our producer, for making this new content possible as we creatively navigate our new temporary environment while we're out of the studio. So according to a study by Robert Half, over a quarter of employees are willing to quit a new job in the first 90 days if they don't find it satisfactory. So those first three months are pretty important for companies to get things right. And now with many new employees starting remotely, it's even more important to get it right. So we are very excited to welcome today's guest, Michael Watkins. Michael is the co-founder of Genesis, a global leadership development consultancy based in Boston, Massachusetts. This firm specializes in transition acceleration for leaders, teams, and organizations, and he coaches C-level executives of global organizations there. He is also a professor of leadership and organizational change at the IMD Business School and author of the international bestseller, The First 90 Days, Updated and Expanded, Proven Strategies for Getting Up to Speed Faster and Smarter. It's been referred to by The Economist as the onboarding Bible. With over a million copies sold in English and translations in 24 languages, the first 90 days has become the classic reference for leaders in transition. Michael, we're so excited to have you back on Dr. Dawn on Careers, and things have certainly changed since we had you on last fall, so let's dive right in. I want to talk both about how companies are adjusting their onboarding processes in light of many new employees starting out remotely or in in socially distanced workspaces, and also what new employees should be doing to be successful when starting a new role in the age of COVID-19. So so let's get started with the companies. And um, I know you wrote an article on this recently, onboarding a new leader in HBR. What are you seeing in terms of onboarding? Sure. So so maybe just a, a quick step back though, right? Because I think what's so interesting for me these days is that all of a sudden, everybody was in transition, whether they wanted to be or not. Right. I mean, that's just kind of interesting intrinsically that the crisis kind of catapulted everybody into a form of transition. Right. And so for me, what's been particularly interesting about this time in part, it's been just watching how, you know, the vast groups of people and organizations are responding essentially by going through transitions of varying kinds. Right. They're, they're informal transitions they're not necessarily formal ones. And also, you know, so many organizations have kind of gone into sort of survival mode, right? They're in the terms I use for talking about business situations, you know, startup turnaround, accelerated growth, real limits, seeing success. All of a sudden, lots of companies found themselves almost in turnaround situations, right? Certainly in crisis, certainly in reaction. And so there's this whole context of transition going on that kind of is almost a background to the normal flow of change that people are having going through. Uh, in, into new roles, right? And that I think is, is intrinsically, you know, pr- pretty interesting. And what it means is organizations need to be thinking about not just the formal role changes that are going on, bringing people in from the outside, you know, moving people internally, perhaps to take on critical new assignments, but they've also got to be thinking about how do they help the many, many, many people that are struggling basically with a form of transition due to what's happened with COVID-19. And obviously we can we can talk more about that uh, if, if you're interested in doing so. In terms of the, um, the 
hiring that's going on, I think one of the interesting things for me is sort of how the nature of that hiring has shifted, right? There's, there's certainly overall less hiring going on. And if you talk to folks, you know, my co-author works at a uh, mid-sized, uh, uh, you know, executive search firm and located in the UK, that the, the volumes have certainly gone down, but the nature of the kind of people that are being brought in is also changing, right? Sometimes it's more short-term assignments. Sometimes it's more focused on specific aspects of the response to the crisis. Sometimes it's people you hired before the crisis, but you're still going to bring them on, but the very nature of what they've done has changed, right? And so, and then you add on top of that the point you made, which is such a good one, right, that you have to do all of this onboarding work, you know, remotely. It becomes a really interesting challenge for organizations to kind of do this and, and, and do it effectively. And so there's a few things I think that, you know, we found doing the research that, that really help, right? And, and the first one is you have to be much more precise and articulate right away about what someone is coming in to do, especially if you'd hired them before the crisis and now what they're doing is, is different in some senses. But because of the, the communication is trickier, because it's harder for people to kind of get the, the feel of what's going on, you kind of need to bias yourself in the direction of being a lot more structured about things. And the first piece of that really is exactly what are you there to do, right? How are you going to create value and how are you going to create value quickly? And so the, the companies that are doing this well are, are being very precise and articulate with the people they're bringing in from the outside about that, about how they're going to create value almost from the get-go. So you bring up so many good points. And um, I know in your recent Harvard Business Review article, um, you, you, you bring up some things that I hadn't even thought of. It's not just people, like you said, who are starting new. It's people who are maybe even starting positions inside the company that are new because companies have had to work so hard to move everything virtually and make sure their customers are taken care of and maybe redo their strategy. They've had to move a lot of people around internally. And I'm seeing this a lot too with, with my students that they're, they're not necessarily getting new jobs outside the company, they're getting new jobs inside the company. And one of the great points yep. to bring up is that these employees need to be, you know, onboarded as well. So before I lose that point that you said, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, the fact that we need to include those employees because even though they're not new to the company, they are new to perhaps their role, their team, their assignment. And, um, and I think that's a really good point that you capture in your article. And so one of the other tips that I really love from that article is this idea of kind of a, a virtual onboarding buddy. Can you share more about that? Sure. So, so, but just the point you made is so important and so right, right? Which is that, you know, companies should be think, thinking in terms of accelerating everybody taking new roles and not focusing just on the people for coming in from the outside. And one of the other things, you know, maybe a quarter of the people taking new roles at any given point in time are coming in from the outside. The other three quarters are moving internally. And it's not like those job changes are simple or easy, especially now, right? So I think I, I wanna just kind of underline the point you just made like 16 times, right? Focus on everybody, focus on accelerating all those transitions that are going on, you know, and, and don't just focus solely on, the, on the, the people that have been hired from the outside. And then in terms of an onboarding buddy, I mean, I think the general principle you, you want to apply as a company to help people make transitions right now is be pretty structured and systematic in how you provide various kinds of support. And so, for example, right, someone coming in from the outside or moving to a new part of the organization internally is going to struggle in part with getting connected, especially given the current situation. They're going to struggle with understanding the culture Right, and oh, by the way, if you're moving inside to a different part of the company, that still means a different culture or a different subculture. And so the idea of this onboarding buddy is someone who can kind of help you navigate that, right? It's someone who can help you understand a little bit about how we do things here, which is kind of my working definition of what culture is. They can help you understand some of the key processes and systems. They can connect you to people. And, and the idea of having someone who's kind of there, you know, to help you figure these things out uh, is, is enormously helpful and especially and particularly now 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Graham. You're on SiriusXM channel 132, and we are talking with Michael Watkins, who is the author of the international bestseller, The First 90 Days, Updated and Expanded, Proven Strategies for Getting Up to Speed Faster and Smarter, referred to as the onboarding Bible by The Economist, and over a million copies sold in English in 24 languages. What we need to know, not just about the first 90 days in a normal, normal situation, we need to know what about the first 90 days in a pandemic? And Michael is here sharing all of his best tips and insights from his research and work with his clients on how you can be successful both as a company as well as a new employee, whether you're coming in from the outside or maybe you've gotten a new job inside the company there's a lot to be thinking about to be successfully onboarded and we're super excited to have michael watkins here today with us on sirius xm channel 132. so there's so many things i hadn't even thought about michael when it comes to like starting a new job remotely like all the things like you usually do in day one get your computer get your id do your i9 all the stuff that you do in person um, that now people need to think about or, or you know, is a company going to send me a computer? Do I need to use my own computer? How do I set up my, my direct deposit? Um, you know, do I have to go into the office and, and, and take care of some of these things? So I think there's, there's so many additional questions that, that candidates or, or people who've been made offers need to ask about how this process is going to work once they accept the job that they didn't have to think about before. And I'm, I'm curious because I know in your, your, your research, you found that only 17% of organizations indicated they developed new systems for onboarding in remote environments. So, so how are people dealing with this? Because I imagine it's both a struggle as a new employee, but also as a company trying to figure this out. Absolutely. No, it is. And, and I mean, keep in mind too, that that research was done probably now, you know, a couple months ago and and, you know, things are moving so fast on that, you know, that what was true two months ago is kind of like, hmm, the whole hum today, right? And so I think there's been a lot of advances in those subsequent couple of months in terms of very rapid learning. And maybe something we can talk later about a little bit if you're interested is how the pandemic has sort of spurred innovation, not just in onboarding, but more generally acceleration, reshaping. I mean, I'm also quite interested in the evolution of, of sort of the future of work. And this has sort of speeded up the, you know, the transformation of future ways of working by five years, I think maybe more, right? So we can get into that a little bit if you're, if you're interested, right? But what I'm seeing, for example, you, you raised the point of kind of, we would call provisioning, right? Getting your, getting your computer, getting the key things that you need to doing the sign up. Uh, I've been amazed at how quickly some companies, right? And so I work one example, a big global healthcare company, um, you'd recognize the name Fortune 50 company. And just in the space of a few weeks, they completely converted their process for giving, you know, new employees technology to 100% virtual, what you kind of alluded to it, to it earlier, right? They, they, ship it, they ship out a fully configured computer now with everything required for the employee to work. And it just shows up, you know, and I talked to the CIO about this, uh, you know, a week or two ago, and he said, we'll never go back. Like, we'll never go back to doing it because it used to take all this work and people would show up at offices and sell computers. And now, you know, we'll just forever after, you know, do this and, and ship that ship that out to the employee, even if they're working in the office, right? We won't, we'll still do that, right? So there's been a lot of, um, a lot of innovation going on here that's really important um, that people need to, you know, recognize has happened very rapidly, right? And so and, but that's only part of the overall onboarding story. I mean, another piece of it, and you, you, you sort of mentioned it before, I think, about leading virtual teams is very different than if you're onboarding. We can get into that if you're interested. The way you approach the entire learning process is very different, right? Because, you know, you, you can't do the work you would normally do just to kind of hang out with people and absorb what's going on. And I, I was doing a, a session for a leadership team yesterday, virtual session, looking at, um, you know, basically a psychometric instrument about kind of the roles people prefer to play. And it was kind of a virtual team building exercise. And one of the senior people on the team who's very extroverted was just lamenting, right, how hard it is for him when he can't just kind of, you know, 
walk around, talk to people, connect with people. Like it was, he was suffering. He was really suffering, right? As a result of this. And he's got a brand new job. It's an internal move. But all the normal routines that he would go through, right, to help him get connected and absorb, you know, knowledge informally and as an extrovert kind of get the energy from being around other people just weren't possible anymore, right? So what do you do in a situation like that other than lament it, grieve it, you know, move on? The answer is you just need to be much more disciplined and structured in how you do it, right? You need to, as a new leader, you know, get advice firstly, but also be very proactive in figuring out what are the meetings that you absolutely need to be in, right? And, and, and for example, right? Or what are the briefings that you normally would just get kind of informally that need to be done in a more, in a more structured way, right? So, so much of this is just about kind of substituting discipline and structure for a lot of the things that you would normally have done just quite organically, right? By, by virtue of people just kind of being, you know, in the new milieu as they, as they took the new role. Well, I'm glad you said that even in just a few short months, the research you've done has, has um, you know, has, has been in some ways uh, obsolete because more and more companies are, are moving in that direction. So that makes me happy because I think you're right. The future of work is we're not going back and companies are learning to do this quickly and they're learning it's, it's more cost effective. It's in some ways more efficient. And I think a lot of people have expressed even before the pandemic, Michael, that they want to work remotely and they want to have more flexibility. And so I'm curious if you're seeing in your work companies doing any kind of orientation around how to work from home. Because I think one of the things we see is that as much as people say, yeah, I want the flexibility to do that, that comes with a lot of challenges as well because you know maybe you don't have the right workspace or maybe you don't have the discipline to be able to kind of um, you know get things done or, or shut off the the computer at a certain time and you're seeing it spill over so yep. I'm curious if any companies have have had the time yet to say hey we're gonna do some some key training on how you can be a successful virtual employee oh it's such a good point and the answer is fortunately yes right I mean and we've actually been asked by some clients to help them create, you know, stuff like that is also also stuff around leading virtual teams because suddenly everybody's leading virtual teams, you know, you got no choice, right? And so I think or, the organizations that are thoughtful about this absolutely are providing advice to their their employees. They may be providing, you know, one company I know is, is you know, provided the additional technology necessary, right? The, a better quality camera, a better quality microphone, upgrading the you know the infrastructure to let people do that and also i think the point you're making about you know finding the right space trying to establish a rhythm right one of the things i think we found initially very disorienting was kind of all of a sudden we're operating on almost a 24-hour basis and day merges into night and, and you know there is no natural rhythm the way there was with normal work life and so you know at, some of the advice that companies that are doing this are giving is beginning to establish those fairly, you know, reasonable boundaries between, you know, the work life and the personal life, because if you don't do that, it all becomes a blur after a while. Yeah. And you discover yourself at 10 o'clock at night. Yes. I was just going to say that because they know you have nowhere to go, Michael. It's like, well, you're not going to go right. out schedule a meeting at seven because you're going to be home anyway. And it's like, oh, yeah, yes, but <laughs> That doesn't mean I want to be yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think that will... with it. You know, the, the title goes something like, you know, nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide, right? It's kind of like that with the new the new work environment. Yeah. It, it really is. And I, I think you're right. And I, I would love to talk about the future of, of work um, in just a bit. But I think you're right that there's going to be some things that stick and some things that go back. Eventually, what we will be able to go out again, hopefully, and see people and have plans. And um, and so that I wonder how that part will will shift because people will actually have uh, somewhere to be and somewhere to, to get away. But, um, but there's something else I was thinking about while we're talking about companies helping people learn how to work virtually is that I know in some um, places, offices are reopening. And I'm, I'm wondering if you're seeing, I, I imagine that even if you've been working at the company a long time, there has to be some kind of reorientation or onboarding around how now to work in this new socially distanced 
um, mask wearing, uh, clean everything, hand sanitizer environment. And if, if there's, if companies are implementing anything around that to make sure their employees are safe. Well, for sure. And I think it's such a good point, right? And again, I, you know, I can't speak for, you know, all companies, but, you know, the ones that I see that I think are doing a great job of this absolutely have thought very systematically about what you might think of as the reactivation of their facilities, right? And how you're going to begin to equip them to be safe, because that's the number one priority here. You've got to have your employees be safe. So there's a, there's an equipping that has to go on. There's also a kind of a psychological orientation, I think is what you're pointing to, Don, right? That has to happen about, okay, what are you going to do when you get there? And then there's a huge, like so many things right now, it's like this, this huge set of experiments going on. We're trying different ways to do this, right? Are we going to have half the people come in, you know, half the time and the rest work virtually? Are we going to swap off weeks? You know, how are we going to kind of do this? And I think what I, part of what I find so fascinating right now is, is just that there is this experimentation going on because we're in completely uncharted territory, right? And, and you know, for me, it's just fascinating that all of a sudden a lot of the barriers, right, to implementing these sorts of things or the sorts of experiments, they just got blown up completely by this situation, right? And so all of a sudden we don't have a choice anymore. We've got to try new things. And so it's actually been a time from my observation of just enormous innovation going on, which I wouldn't have sort of predicted if I'd been thinking about, you know, what happens in a, in a crisis uh, usually. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, um, Mike. I'm going to use the word silver linings because I do think there, there's certainly a lot of disruption and, and some of that is not so pleasant. Um, but there are silver linings. And I think one of them is this, this catapult forward for a lot of companies who had not fully embraced the technology available, who had not fully embraced the the options and innovations that have come out. And, and not only that, but new innovations and technology coming out as a result of the need for this. And I think those are going to be great things that stick around and really help companies do things in new ways and employees have a lot of different options. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to SiriusXM channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And if you're looking for a great way to build new skills, check out LinkedIn Learning's vast array of online courses, which are available free to premium users, but many of which now are open to all LinkedIn users to help support professionals in their careers during these unusual economic times. And some of those courses have to do with working virtually as we're talking about today. And, and um, one of my courses on visibility is another key one that you wanna make sure that you you take a look at because visibility becomes a little bit more difficult in these times because you're not at the office. So you might have to be more intentional about that. But hey, if you want to check those out, just go to LinkedIn and you'll send to reach out on LinkedIn with a tailored message and let me know what you think. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Dr. Don on Careers on SiriusXM channel 132. And we're very excited to be talking to Michael Watkins, who is the author of the International bestseller, The First 90 Days, which has been called the Onboarding Bible by The Economist. And we're talking all about how you can both successfully onboard your new employees, but also if you're a new employee, how you can make the best first impression as you get started. So let's, let's, let's talk about that a little bit, Michael, about as you're a new employee and you're thinking, you know, I want to make a good first impression. I want to get to understand the culture of the organization and see how everything works. But, you know, now, now I don't have that. I'll be, I'll be honest. I think so many people, and you probably see this too, are so happy to, to get the job and to be done with the job search that they don't think about the first 90 days at all. They don't really think about it. They think I'm going to show up. The company's going to have an orientation program. I'm going to learn where everything is and how everything works and, and, you know, not really put too much planning into it. But I know that from reading your book, that's oh, a big mistake. <laughs> big mistake. You know, it's a huge mistake, right? And, and I think that it's, 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 these days, it's even more important, I think, that you be intentional about those critical early impressions, right? I, I think that, you know, Don, as you know well from our previous conversations, right, one of the biggest points I try to make is the power of those early impressions, right? That once, 
you know, people begin to form impressions about you. Those impressions tend to be very sticky. They tend to become self-reinforcing. If they're positive, then you get a halo. If they're negative, you know, the gray cloud begins to form around you. And you now have a much more limited set of ways to kind of connect with people and you've got to make the most of it. And that begins just with, you know, how you show up in the virtual environment, right? And I mean, I know you've heard the horror stories. I have, you know, the camera tips down and someone's in their underwear, you know, this kind of thing, right? I mean, that's an extreme example of this. But you, you, on either side of the camera. <laughs> so I know it happens, but I, I, can, I can say I haven't, I haven't seen it live, which is a good thing. <laughs> No, no, and, and we don't, and frankly, none of us really want to, right, to see it live, but I think it, you know, it, it, it's much, it's much less extreme than that, but it's just recognizing that, you know, you have this little window through which people are going are gonna to see you, and they're going to form judgments about you based on what they see and what they hear, and so being very intentional about how you show up, and that ranges from the background you choose, I'm not a huge fan of virtual backgrounds, personally, I like a natural background, but that's a bias, right, you know, dress code, right? I mean, it, you know, I'm not saying you should show up in a suit, although I know people, one of whose principles is, I'm going to dress exactly the way I used to dress when I was going to the office, like it's a jacket, you know, the whole deal. Don't think that's necessarily absolutely essential, but, you know, you want to be thinking about your physical presence because we know people make judgments very quickly based on what they see. And, you know, you've got these limited windows of time, you've got this limited window of pixels through which people are looking at you, you better be thoughtful about it, right? And you better be, be sort of, um, you know, being systematic about it from the beginning because you don't want people taking away the wrong early impression of you. And frankly, as you know well, right, if you know someone better and they happen to have a, have, you know, having a bad hair day, it's like, oh, geez, they're having a bad hair day, right? That's a, maybe mildly entertaining, but if you see someone come on for their first time and they're sort of disheveled or sort of distracted or they're not really present in the meeting or they're kind of parallel processing, you know, uh, doing tasks in parallel, it's really evident, right? Uh, by the way, I think this is, by the way, fascinating. I, I'm always fascinated about how many people seem to think that they can get away with, you know, dividing their attention when they're in meetings or not being thoughtful about their body language in meetings and, and you know, I had this great example yesterday, that same executive team, leadership team meeting I was doing, right? And there was one guy who clearly hadn't realized how obvious his disrespectful body language was, right? And, and so we're all, you know, you've got it set up with the gallery view and he's got everyone in the pains, right? And, and the leader of the team, the new leader of the team starts talking and the guy literally throws his head back, does a huge eye roll, right? Okay. In front of everybody, right? As if, as if we couldn't all see him do this, right? And I'm like, man, what are you thinking? You know, I mean, seriously. And I was, I, I coached the leader of this particular team. We we're talking about it today, laughing about it. Right? Fortunately, he has a good sense of humor. He knows the guy pretty well, right? But I'm just like, wow, you know, you've got to be so careful, right, about about what you do, and not assume that somehow you're you're anonymous in some way if you've got that camera on you. It's just really dangerous. But you forget. I mean, you forget, Michael, you have the camera on you, especially if you're multitasking, you pop into another window, you forget that people are watching you. And I think it's really easy to do. I know I know I have, uh, you know, I've been on meetings and, and I've had people text me, hey, Don, your camera is on. Not that I was doing anything other than, like, you know, eating food or something, but, you know, certainly not something I'd do on camera, but you forget. And I think, I think, you know, when you're in an, in a, in a room, in a space, obviously you, you are present, but when you're multitasking on your computer. So I think you are absolutely spot on. You have to, whether you're a new employee or not, you have to be very cognizant of what is being transmitted. And now you're in a little box. So even if you're in a, you know, big meeting, people may not notice your, your body language, although probably most do, but um, now you're in a box. Now you're right in front of somebody. So it's, it's like people are laser focused on those types of things. So it's so critical you brought that up. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sirius XM channel 132. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Michael Watkins talking about the first 90 days, his international best-selling book. But we're talking about the first 90 days in light of the pandemic and how you can both be successful in onboarding your new team members, 
as well as being effective as a new team member or if you're in a new role. So we have to go to break right now, but when we come back, we'll be talking about ways that, that you as an individual can get an early win in those first 90 days, create a great first impression. And if you find yourself new to managing a remote team, we'll give you some tips about that as well. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers Serious XM. Channel 132. American Top 40. We're heading for a brand new number one song. Casey Kasem counts the hits that shined in the 70s. It's time for this hour's long distance dedication. And our letter is postmarked Billings, Montana. Hear the actual 40 song countdown that aired during this week of the Super 70s. Keep your feet in the ground and keep reaching for the stars. American Top 40. Saturdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. With replays throughout the weekend on 70s. On seven. You're listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Business Radio. Back to Dr. Dawn on Career Series XM channel 132. If you want to follow what we're doing, you can go to Twitter at Dr. Dawn Graham. We have all new shows this summer, and we're very excited to be bringing you fantastic guests who can help you navigate your career in the age of COVID-19. And today we are talking with Michael Watkins, who is the co-founder of Genesis, a global leadership development consultancy based in Boston, Massachusetts. He is also a professor of leadership and organizational change at the IMD Business School and author of the international bestseller, The First 90 Days, which has been referred to as the onboarding Bible by The Economist. We're super excited to have Michael back on the show because he not only has fantastic information, but he's a lot of fun to talk to. And um, Michael, where can people reach you if they're looking for more information on you or your book? Sure. So the easiest way to get me is through LinkedIn, which you mentioned just a few minutes ago, Don, and I I do a lot of my own LinkedIn. So just reach out to me there is probably the easiest way. Another way is just through Genesis, right? www.genesisadvisors.com. Fantastic. So let's talk about something that's, that, you know, I took out of your book that was so important. Um, what is the best way to get an early win in the first 90 days, especially in, in the age of COVID when you may not be in the office and, um, you know, maybe you don't have as much direction because the company is going through some strategy or leadership changes. What, what can you do as a new employee to get an early win? So it's, first of all, it's a great question. It's the right question, right? And I think it is different and more challenging in many ways than it has been. And part of what we talked about a bit already, right? So there's, I, I think about it, there being sort of early, early wins and later early wins. I know it sounds a little weird, but, but that's what it is. And the early, early wins are really about showing that you're coming up the learning curve quickly, showing that you're gaining an understanding of how you're going to create value, making connections to the key people that you need to be connecting with, you know, aligning on objectives. So there's, there's this piece that's really about that early credibility building before you've even actually done a whole lot that really is worth paying attention to, right? And what you want people to be thinking is, ah, this piece of person's coming up the learning curve really quickly. Ah, they're getting it in terms of how they can create value. Ah, they're making connections, right? And they're demonstrating a desire to kind of be helpful. All that stuff is, is about those early, early wins of building that credibility beginning to build your brand, if you will, your reputation in the new organization. And then as you get a little further up the learning curve, it's about where you're going to focus your energy to really demonstrate that you can create value in important ways relatively quickly, right? And there you should really be taking your cue from, you know, your manager, from your team, right? Putting it through the filter of what is an early win here. That's one important filter, right? Second is, you know, can I accomplish things in a reasonable period of time with a reasonable, you know, amount of energy, right? And is this something that people are going to view as a win? And am I going about trying to get it in the right way, right? Am I operating in the context of the culture? Because you can do things that you think you're going to get your early wins, but you do it in a way that violates in some sense cultural norms or offends people in some way, and it's not even a win at all, right? I guess the, the other thing too, and this is really crucial, is focus, right? It's just so easy. And I think maybe in some sense it's even easier now to get kind of all 
diffused and, and, and unfocused and trying to do too many things and thinking that if I do enough things, something's going to work. And it just doesn't happen that way, right? You have to be focused. And back to the points you were making earlier, Don, about the challenges of working, you know, in a, in a fully virtual environment or working from home, my experience has at least been it's, it's even harder than ever to stay focused, right? To, to really continue to be relentless about the few things that you really need to be, be paying attention to. Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think there's a lot of what I'll, I'll call quote unquote soft skills, but um, that have become so critical. I mean, not just being focused. I think, I think especially as a new employee or even not a new employee with things changing as rapidly as you've mentioned, I think it's important to be agile, to be patient, to recognize that, you know, you may go down one path and, and things may change. We're, we're seeing this in universities right now. You know, you're, you're planning to come back to campus. And there's a new regulation that comes out that kind of blows up your plans and you have to start over. And, and you know, those things are certainly frustrating. So I think it's, it's important to be positive, especially, again, as a new team member, because as you pointed out, you are making your first impression. And while somebody else who's been there for a long time may be able to have a meltdown and it'd be okay because they've put a lot of positive credits in the bank, you may not be able to do that. And I, and I think you brought up the word culture and I want to kind of tag onto that because a big part, especially for Michael, um, you know, young professionals who may be starting, starting work for the first time or in, you know, very early in their career, not worked in a lot of different offices who are now working virtually are struggling to understand the culture. And we tell people, you know, watch what other people do. But back to your point about, you know, video conferences, if other people are bringing their pets on the screen or showing up in a, you know, Metallica t-shirt, that may be okay for them because they've built a lot of, you know, positive, positive wins in their career, but it may not be okay for you as somebody who hasn't yet developed a brand. So how can people both understand the culture and kind of understand also what's okay for others may not be okay for you just yet. Yeah. So, so in addition to observation, which I agree with you, is a lot harder, although even so team meetings are, are still a very rich place to observe kind of the way things happen, right. And who defers to who and, and, you know, what's acceptable and how do meetings start and how do meetings end. So, so it's not like you're completely without information, but at the same time, I do think it, it's, even more important to be asking about the culture, right? And, and to do that, by the way, I, I think you've got to be very proactive in reaching out and connecting with people and, and, and sort of setting up those informal get to know you kinds of conversations. And as part of those, it's completely legitimate to ask about the way things work, right? You don't have to call it culture. That's a big word, right? But, you know, what, what, what do I need to know about how work gets done here, right? It's a completely legitimate question and one I recommend people ask. Um, the other thing, and I think you're making me think about something I've been sort of pondering for actually the last couple of days, which is I, I do a lot of coaching, right? So I coach typically now CEOs taking new roles. It's either you know coming in from the outside or internal promotions. Often they're first time CEOs, you know. So I would have predicted, you know, a priori that, you know, having no opportunity to meet in person would really be a big barrier to coaching people effectively. Not that I haven't done lots of virtual coaching, but it's often been a combination of coaching people, you know, meeting people, connecting with them in person, and then continuing the coaching relationship, uh, you know, by virtual means. I've been astonished at how relatively easy it is to really form pretty good connections with people if you're willing to make the investment remotely. And in some ways, it's, it's even easier because people seem to be willing to kind of disclose things. Maybe again, it's back to your point about the safety of your home or something, Don, that they wouldn't necessarily normally even in a normal face-to-face -face meeting, right? And so for me, the implication is reach out and touch people, right? Reach out and make those, those even very short kind of get-to-know-you conversations, those informal, you know, things that you would normally do, just, just schedule them. <laughs> You know, and, and as part of that, inquire, right? Inquire into what do I need to know to really work effectively here, right? How do things work here, right? What are some things that people, you know, get people into trouble? There's a bunch of questions you can ask that are really about culture, and there's no harm, like zero harm in asking them. It actually demonstrates you care, right, which is, which is quite important. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. 
uh, Michael, we, we have to be, again, much more intentional about reaching out, asking questions. This goes back to visibility as well. You know, let your manager know Absolutely. what you're working on. Send a, you know, send a weekly status update. Maybe you didn't have to do that before because you had that conversation in the hallway or at, a, you know, at another meeting. But it, make it easy for others to see the work you're doing, to track what you're what you're um, working on and then batch your questions you know make sure that that you're not you're not shooting off questions left and right and kind of but you know write down your questions and and batch them for your meeting and do ask especially if you're new see if you can meet one-on-one -on -one with colleagues because i think a lot of colleagues like you said michael are much more willing to be open we've invited people into our kitchens into our living rooms and yeah into our homes and into our where our families live and so there's there's definitely a, a little bit more um casual interaction and and one-on-one -on -one people may be willing to share things that they're not willing to share on a large zoom meeting so i i, I absolutely I all spot on and um nope. let's talk about absolutely for sure don i mean me, 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 once you've seen you know somebody's cat climbing on their shoulders in the middle of a <laughs> you know, video conference, what is there left to hide, right? I mean, there's Can nothing. Can you see me so, right now? That's but, actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm fascinated you're doing this work on visibility, right? Because I just think it's such important work done. I mean, it's great that you're doing this program and it's great you've done that stuff because it's never been more important to work self-consciously, as you've said about it being visible, right? Particularly if you're naturally somewhat on the introverted side, because there can be this really comforting sense of, oh, finally, I can be left alone. I can do this work, right? And, and it's it's dangerous, right? To your point, and so it's it's really fantastic that you're you're kind of highlighting that issue. Hey, you're just tuning in. You're listening to SiriusXM. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We are here with the one and only Michael Watkins, author of the first 90 days, talking about how you can manage your career as a new employee or if you're in a new job in the age of COVID-19. And I wanna I wanna kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about. What if you find yourself managing a new remote team? So maybe you, you, um, you know, for the first time, you're now managing a team that's not in the office, and this is this is something you've never done. I think that it takes some different types of skills to do this successfully, Michael. It, well, it absolutely does, right? And I think that um, again, this has been kind of like a rapid fire. You know, trial by fire, everyone needs to learn how to be, you know, leading virtually kind of experience, right? It's been so interesting. And I think you alluded to something earlier that I think is just really so crucial, right? Which is, as the leader of the team, you're the one that's got to foster connection among people on the team, right? You're the one that's got to be biased in the direction of helping people feel connected, feel like they're a part of something. And so... You know, that's one core piece of work you need to do. And it's much harder to do now than it was when you were able to have more of your team, you know, to, together, right? And so doing that for sure. Second big piece is just establishing, you know, um, the, the rhythm, the structure of what people are doing when there isn't any natural rhythm and structure perhaps to what you're doing and establish sort of when, you know, when we're going to put, whether we're going to put boundaries on, the work that we're going to do synchronously as opposed to asynchronously, right? So helping people make sense of and have a sense of structure and a sense of rhythm in their work lives, I think has been become tremendously important. Figuring out how to do some team building work, um, I think also is just a real priority these days. It's so easy to get into purely transactional information sharing, decision making, you know, hour after hour, uh, you know, on, on Zoom or or teams kind of doing it and how do you how do you sort of at least try to preserve some of the esprit de corps you know if you will right in a team and and that can be done you know in a very um micro kind of way so i, I published a, a short piece a few weeks back you know about virtual micro team building i know that's a, a mouthful but the basic idea is there are micro things you can do you can kind of throw into the meetings that you have uh, virtually that can help people just, you know, have a sense of connection to each other and they don't have to be difficult. Right. I mean, I, I, the example, and I think a number of people have used this example now, but you know, what superpowers would you have if you could pick two, you know, I mean, it's, it's I mean, it's, I know it sounds a little trite, but anything that gets people out of the immediate transactional work mode and into 
a little bit of reflection, a little bit of connection. That's something I think as a virtual, a leader of a virtual team, you just really have to be prepared to, you know, invest some time in. Also that sort of, I, I call it the virtual water cooler time, right? The check-in time, the connecting time so that you're not again, just caught in this endless cycle of productivity, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, it's, it's important to be productive, of course, right? But you also need to sustain the energy of your team, right? It's not just about mobilizing and focusing the energy of your team. It's about sustaining it. And so how do you think about sustaining energy as the leader of the virtual team? Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's really important, Michael, because we, we don't realize how much we do that during the day because it's so automatic and just, you know, people sharing um, things that are happening on the weekend, not that there's really much happening for most of us on the weekend now, but um, and just you talking about TV shows or movies they've seen and just so, you know, how's your spouse, how's your, your dog, whatever those things are. I mean, we we need to keep doing those. And I think it's really important too for managers to recognize that if you have multiple team members, you know, they're all that might be dealing with this differently. So, so maybe extending your one-on-one -on -one check-ins to, so you can, you can ask how people are doing, is there anything they need or, you know, do they feel like they're, they're participating in the right meetings? How are things going? You know, things that people may not want to share in a group, but, but to just really check in and make sure they think, um, or they, they realize that you're, you're thinking about these things. So um, I want to be cognizant of the time on this, and there's so much to talk about in, in this situation, but I do want to talk about something you brought up earlier, which is the future of work, because obviously you are in the mix of it, Michael. You're, so you're working with leaders of, of major companies and seeing what they're doing and seeing all the changes that are happening right now. And so what, what, what do you see based on the information you're getting about what, what processes and new policies and, and, and practices are going to stick? Which ones are going to go back to the way they were? What are some new things that are emerging that we had no idea were even on the horizon? Yep. So it's a great question. And I guess I would connect it too, Don, to the future of leadership development too because they're actually very similar problems, right? I mean, I, I teach at a business school, you're at a business school, a great business school, Wharton. Um, you know, at IMD, as I'm sure is the case at Wharton, all of a sudden, all the in-person programs, all the face-to-face -face programs went away. Just like at every company in the world, all the face-to-face -face meetings went away. And we're kind of all sitting there kind of with a stunned look on our face going, <clears throat> okay, now what, right? And then you begin to innovate, you begin to adapt, you begin to, you know, start to do things virtually, you know, um, and I'm running a first 90 days program now at IMD fully virtually, including group and individual coaching, right? So there's a lot you can do. But what we decided to do, and this is a colleague of mine and I, decided to think about what is it that's not happening, right? In the midst of all this, right? We've, we've got this, this big constraint, we can't meet together. We're adapting around that constraint. We're innovating tremendously around that constraint but what's still missing, right? Because that's a way of getting at what's going to come back to being face-to-face -face when it's all done, when we're through this, right? And the answer I think turns out to be some things like building really deep collaboration in teams is hard to do virtually. I think um, innovation processes turn out to be fairly hard to do, uh, you know, in, in virtual teams, building a shared culture turns out, I think, to be fairly hard to do if you're only operating virtually, and you kind of alluded to this later earlier about how do you figure out the culture. Sustaining a culture virtually or building a culture virtually, in our experience, is really hard, right? And so what we predict is going to happen once we have this constraint relaxed and we can start to, to begin to meet together again is teams will come together to do those things which are you know, only really done effectively still face to face, right? That's building deep senses of collaboration, it's innovation, it's acculturation, it's building a shared sense of commitment. And the rest of the time, teams are going to operate virtually, right? So we envision a world in which there will be basically two modes of operation for most teams of which most organizations consist of these days, a lot of the time spent operating virtually, 
in a more coordination, transaction, information processing, decision-making mode, punctuated by times when you'll, you'll come together very purposely to engage in collaboration, connection, innovation. And team leaders are going to have to learn to operate very effectively in those two modes. And we envision a world in which, you know, conventional office space kind of goes away, except for things where you have to do stuff physically, right? So I do a lot of work with healthcare systems these days. You know, you're not going to have, you're, you're unlikely to have, you know, operating rooms disappear, even if robotics is playing a, a key role, in, right? But for the, for the intellectual work that gets done in most companies, right, most of the normal processing is going to happen, we think, remotely. And we think most office space devoted to doing conventional kind of work today is going to disappear. And what's going to remain is spaces where teams can come together to do that deeper, connective, collaborative, innovative, you know, shared culture building, you know, um, building a shared sense of commitment work. And so we think the world's going to look really different. And we think it's got pretty big implications, right, for leadership, for real estate, you know, for for a whole lot of things. Does that make any sense to you, Don? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think as we're all kind of sitting here longing for some of the things we miss, like, you know, hey, a haircut or <laughs> sitting inside a restaurant, um, you know, I, I think I think there's a lot of positive changes to look forward to. And although they're a little bit scary, especially, um, you know, any change is a little bit scary, even, even positive ones. I think once we all kind of adapt and, and adjust to it, I think there's going to be so many positives that come out of it in terms of career opportunities. And maybe we can't see them just yet because they're just over the, the, the hill, but I think there are going to be a lot of good things. And what I encourage people to do is always be looking for the opportunity. Anytime there's disruption like this, um, you know, and I know a lot of people's plans for 2020 have gotten kind of blown out of the water, but, but maybe there's something that's popped up that wasn't an option last year that is even better. So do look at that. Michael Watkins has been um, with us for the last hour. And if you're just tuning in, you missed it, but you can always find the replay on iTunes and Google Play. We've been talking about uh, Michael's international best-selling book, The First 90 Days, and especially in the first 90 days in the age of COVID-19. Michael, where can people find more information about you and your amazing book? So LinkedIn, great place to connect with me always. I, I manage my own LinkedIn you know, page, and so please connect with me there for sure if you're interested. Um, Genesis Advisors, my consulting company, www.genesisadvisors.com, the IMD Business School, www.imd.org and delighted to connect if it's helpful. Michael, thank you so much. We always love having you on Dr. Don on Careers and of course Dana and Dion for making the show sound great and all of our listeners and followers. We have new content for you all summer and if you want to keep up with what's coming, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham or you can join my newsletter on my website drdawnoncareers.com You've been listening to Dr. Dawn on Careers on Sirius XM 132, and we will see you next time. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.